So, my native language is not compassion. Being compassionate and being kind was really something that I had to, to, to pick up on as I grew and as I matured. And it, it can be demonstrated in this one interaction that I had in college. I remember this as it happened, and it's still something that makes me laugh because it's so logical. But I am a junior or senior in college. I can't remember which year it was. But at that point in my life, I was six foot two, but I was about like 150 pounds soaking wet, eating like 4,000 calories per day because I just couldn't put on weight. And so our cafeteria had a main food line. And then way off in the corner, you had to intentionally get to it, was the dessert bar where there was just unlimited brownies and cookies for college kids to eat. And I frequented that area. And one of the times that I was there, I was filling up my plate with some treats. And this freshman girl, who I didn't know who she was, but she walked over to me and she said out loud, and I assumed directed to me, I probably shouldn't eat any of this. And without thinking, which is always a bad thing, men, um, just hit the pause button for a second and give it some consideration. But without thinking, I just spoke in my normal matter of a fact tone and said, you have heard of the freshman 15, right? Which is where you gain 15 pounds your freshman year of college. Most people were aware of it. And her response to me on that was the, the plate that she was holding became a Frisbee that kind of like came in like my general direction. And she just like stormed off. What I said was true, but was it helpful? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe not. And I know John speaks my language because God's still working on him in that area too. That's right. This is what happens when you interact with me on stage. That's why we're such good friends. There, there's a truth that there's so many things that come out of our mouth that I understand and I get where you're coming from because you're like, it's true, so I can say it. Is it helpful? Because what you said might be true, it might be right, but is it benefiting the person? Is it pushing them towards where they need to go or is it making you feel better that you said what was true? Did it put them into their position and reaffirm to them your position up higher on the ladder? And we're in a series, week number three, last week of it, you can breathe again, we, a series called No Offense. Because we know that we're living in a time and a culture where people get offended. And sometimes it's easily and it's over nothing and sometimes it's over something that, that, that is a real issue and a real trauma. And I get that, but we have to be intentional and we have to give some consideration to how we manage offense in our life. Because we are not just going to live our life based on the way that our culture and our time does life. We're going to live our life based on the teachings of Jesus Christ and the commands of Scripture. Amen? Amen. So by saying that, you are giving me approval to step on some toes today and challenge you a little bit today, right? All right, you agreed to it, so we're going to do it. If you have your Bible, you can open up to Luke chapter 18. We're going to look at verses 9 through 14. I apologize as I set this up. I forgot to put verse 9 in there, so I will just read that to you as we get started. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. 
Two men went to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And just quick time out. The Pharisees, they were, they were very considerate of all the rules and regulations. Like they wanted to make sure that every rule was followed. It didn't matter how it hurt someone. It didn't matter how it affected anyone. It didn't matter. If, we were, if we're not supposed to cook on Saturday and there's no food, then you're starving till Sunday. And I don't care because that's what the rule says. The Pharisees were very concerned about being right in the eyes of men. And so these two men go to pray. The other's a tax collector. Tax collectors were considered traitors both politically and religiously, and they were hated. I want to make sure you understand that as we get into this. So two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like these other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven. But he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And I tell you, this man, the tax collector, rather than the other, the Pharisee, went home justified before God. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. As we get into this text, I want to just kind of start you with the thought that whenever we are more concerned with being right than we're concerned with being loving, we need to ask God to humble us. Whenever we're more concerned with being right than we're concerned with being loving, we need to ask God to humble us. We need to ask him to get our heart right because there is something that's going on in our pride that we are more concerned with standing in the correct position than seeing someone move towards the will of God in their life. And it's a heart issue that we need to address. And Jesus begins, and he, and, and he identifies a group of people that in verse 9 it says, to some who were confident in their own righteousness. And he says, you here, this group of people who think that the actions that you've done, the way that you've lived, have somehow earned you some privileges in the eyes of God. I have a conversation I want to have specifically with you. I mean, that's who he's talking to. That's who he's dialing in. And as he speaks to them, he begins to unpack. The person who thinks they have it all together and prays a certain way does not mean that you're, you're right with God. You can follow rules. You can be right, but you can miss the point. You can do what you think is right, but you can miss out on your mission that God has for your life. And so I'm going to begin to just kind of say it simply like this, like, and we'll put this up on the screen. You're not as right as you think. And you can go to the next slide just so I can tell the grammar police in the room that I got you. You are not as right as you think. Did you delete the second slide? You deleted my joke. It's okay. This is what happens when you think that you're right and you don't necessarily know what's going on. It's all right. You are not as right as you think. There's so many times that you're in conversations and you send a long, important message to somebody or comment to somebody, and though you brought up an important issue, the only thing they want to talk about is whether or not you are using correct grammar, and you're like, you're missing the point, (laughs) There's a whole conversation and you want to talk about whether or not I use an apostrophe in the conversation. There's so many areas in our life that there's something critical that's happening. 
There is a relationship that is at a breaking point. And we want to talk about the side issues rather than the heart of the issue. There's so many behaviors that come out of someone's life when they are hurting. And if we only address the behaviors and we don't address the root of what's happening, we're going to miss the point. But what we address is going to kind of reveal some some things about us. Like the way that we approach the situation, it's going to communicate to other people what is most important in your heart. Is the person important or is it just about the issue? I try to impress upon my kids this truth that you need to listen carefully when someone talks to you. You need to listen carefully to how they talk about you. You need to listen carefully to how they criticize you. Because that person, they can't tell you anything about yourself. They can't tell you anything about your your future. But they are telling you a whole lot about the condition of their heart. The way that they talk to you tells you a lot about their trauma, a lot about their history, a lot about their pain. Because if they are unhealthy, you're going to hear unhealthy words come from them. And then you need to understand how to interact with them. And I try to impress this on them as they grow and as they deal with people. And this is true about you. This is true about the Pharisees. And this is true about our relationship with God. If we think that we have to earn our way through making sure, you know, you always give the, this exact amount, this exact 10%. You always, have to, you always have to be there. You always have to serve. You always have to do the religious things. And if you do those enough, then you have earned your way into where you can finally talk to God about your life, your pain, and your circumstances. If you live your relationship with God that way, that's what you're going to impress upon the other people around you. As if you have confidence in your own righteousness and you have earned a position in the throne room of God. And first of all, you can't earn it. You can't be good enough. You can't do enough to earn the favor of God. It is only given through faith in Christ. It is only given in a term that we use called grace. God's love given to you in a way that you have not earned it or merited it, but it has been given to you because of what Jesus Christ did for you. And if you're someone who understands and you know the only reason that my life is being transformed, the only reason that my family is getting stronger, the only reason that my relationships are healing is because what God has been doing in my heart is flowing into those relationships, then it removes your pride from the situation. And Jesus wanted to address these people who had these, this, this confidence in their own righteousness. And it says that they looked down on everyone else. And, and he, he said, he's the example of them. He's like, you guys, like a Pharisee, a Pharisee goes in to pray. And then you know who else goes alongside him to pray? A tax collector. And if you look at the teachings of Jesus, this was very intentional. The tax collectors, like I said, were hated politically and religiously. They were seen as traitors. Other times Jesus used Samaritans and he used the example of the good Samaritan and he said, you know, a Levite and a priest walked by someone who'd been beaten almost to death by robbers and they, they went out of the way because they didn't want to be ceremonially unclean and then a Samaritan came. Samaritans were people who, who married into other races and the Jewish people at that time referred to them as half-breed dogs. They hated them because when they were pushed out of Jerusalem and out of Samaria, they, they married with other races and then came back And they looked at them as though they were less. And Jesus intentionally used these people to communicate. It's not about what you were born into. 
It's not about what people you identify with. It's about how you live your life and whether or not you follow my commands as to one of your, so whether or not you're one of mine. The way that you live matters. But it's not about your birthright and it's not about if you've been getting it right since you were born. Were you, were you circumcised on this day? Were you brought up in the temple? Did you get to follow a rabbi? Those aren't the things that mattered. And Jesus continued to impress this on him. And so in, in verse 11, it says, the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like these other people. Now, this prayer seems pretty far off, but culturally, it's actually a lot of how the Pharisees talked at the time. We have a lot of records of writings from Pharisees and other Jewish leaders that talked about their confidence in their works. And one of them is from a rabbi named Simeon, who's a famous author, and he talked on the Talmud. And I want to read you a quote of how he wrote about his confidence in himself and his son. He said, the whole world is not worth 30 righteous persons, such as our father Abraham. If there were only 30 righteous persons in the world, I and my son should make two of them. But if there were only 20, I and my son would still be of the number. And if there were but 10, I and my son would be of the number. And if there were but five, I and my son would be of the five. And if there were but two, I and my son would be those two. And if there were but one, myself would be that one. I mean, that, that's intense. But that was the perspective that was almost looked at with pride in their society. That, that earn it. And we wouldn't put ourselves in the top 1%, but I'm going to tell you, 50% of our population is dumber than 50% of our population, but 100% of our population, population believes they're in the top 50%. <laughs> and some of us have identified, this is a role that I need to fill to help people understand which percentage they're really in, right? We've seen it. We've done it. If only I was coaching that team, we'd be winning all the games. If only I was the teacher of that classroom. If I had their wealth, I would use it so much better than they have used it. I mean, there's so many times that it's like we, we place ourselves like, I am so far beyond. If, they, if the world could just understand things the way that I understood them, our world would be so much better off. There would be peace and prosperity for everyone. If every state was just like Florida, uh, the U.S. would be better off, right? <laughs> um, I'm stepping on toes now. That's fun. <laughs> the thing that I just want to impress I understand that you have it together than most. But humility is so important for your relationship with God. It's so important for your relationship with your relatives. It's so, humility is so important in your relationship with your neighbors. And humility is connected to how you interact with your heavenly father. Scripture teaches us that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Your good isn't good enough. You have only been saved by grace. And when anyone's life rubs up against your life, I hope that they catch the sense that they, they don't think that they're better than me. They don't think that they're a different class. 
Even when they saw my rough edges, they were kind and they were loving and they were encouraging. We've got a work to do to make sure that pride isn't what people take away from their first interaction with us. And Jesus actually lifted up this tax collector that in verse 13, it says, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God have mercy on me, a sinner. Now a tax collector was despised. It's unfair that they get to be the hero because they're hated and the Pharisees, they should be the heroes. They're the hard workers. They're the hard givers. They're the ones who've been around for years and years. And for a tax collector to show up, Jesus is pinpointing that the heart attitude of your worship is incredibly important. And he says, only the tax collector went home justified this day. And I want to make sure that you understand, God is not fooled. He is not mocked and he is not fooled. False repentance doesn't go anywhere in his kingdom. He sees through to the motives. And he knows when a heart is proud and when a heart is broken. And in God's kingdom, it is a powerful prayer when you say, God, have mercy on me. I know that I am sinful. I know that I am broken. I know that I mess up. And Jesus says, that is, that is the heart that heaven takes notice of. That is the life that the way that he says, he went back to his home, justification, just as if he had never sinned. Made right with God. For those who have been in the church for, for over 10 years, for over 20 years, I think sometimes we can slide into this mentality of like, God, you owe me something. Like I've been here. Like, I've been faithful. Like, you owe me something. And we forget about this incredible grace that we've received. And I want to remind you of it. You need to be reminded of it. It needs to be present on your head. It needs to be present in your heart. It needs to be present in your attitude because the people around you so desperately need that truth that a right relationship with God is only found through the grace that we receive. We don't, we don't earn it, but we are recipients of it. says that he, he wouldn't even look up to heaven, but, but he beat his breast. It, it shows like there's this attitude, there's this demeanor of saying, like, I, I don't deserve this. Like, have mercy on me. And I want to tell you, in your relationship with God, in your relationship with other people, humility will lead you where pride could never take you. Humility will lead you where pride could never take you. In your relationship with God, you have to be humble in how you approach him. You have to recognize that he is the creator and, and what he says goes. That we are his children. We're invited into a relationship with him, but we come on his terms. We live following his teachings. I, I, it, I was just recently reading and came across the, the, the explanation of how to love. And it says, to love is to follow his commandments. Like that's the definition of how we live out love. And humility is saying, I see it this way, but God, I understand you say to do it this way, and I'm going to walk in obedience. Humility is recognizing, I haven't earned this favor that you give me. And so I'm not going to expect someone else to earn anything either. I'm going to give them grace when they don't deserve it. The tax collector was justified. And in the same way, if we would be humble in our relationships, we'd see healing in so many relationships that have been broken for far too long. 
You say, well, listen, it's their fault. I'm right. Who cares if you're right? If you can save your marriage from divorce. Who cares if you're right? If your grown child will come back to see you at Thanksgiving and Christmas time. Who cares if you're right? Because you've been wrong so many times in God's eyes and he has given you grace after grace after grace. And so we have no choice but to give grace after grace after grace in our relationships with other people. I understand you are right and it's okay to be right. But don't miss the mission and the purpose that we live. We're called to be ambassadors for the kingdom of God, extending this invitation of grace that has been given to us. That is our job. That is our mission. Our mission is not to be right. Our mission is to be love. And you know, you know if you think it through, you know if you talk it through, that if you're humble and you give grace that they don't deserve and the relationship gets restored, they often get back to that point where they can finally say the words that you've been longing to hear, I was wrong. But it's not achieved through debate and hate and anger and pride. It's achieved through grace and compassion and time and healing. Humility is powerful in relationships. The way that Jesus said it beautifully and poetically at the end of the passage was those who exalt themselves, they'll get humbled. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. And I'll tell you, this will work out to be true in your relationships and this, this is true in the kingdom of God. It's interesting because when you look at the life of Jesus He was the only one who never sinned. Like every time he spoke, he spoke it well. Every time that he reacted, he reacted well. He was the only one who lived a sinless life. And you would think that that would just terrify the sinful. Like that would would make them want to run from him. But time after time, wedding after wedding, party after party, the people who were broken, like they just flocked to be around him. And as a pastor, I know that people get weird around you when they find out that you're trying to live a holy life. Like I literally will try to keep it secret from people when I first meet them and they're outside of the church because they start acting weird, right? I mean, like minutes after they find out, I'm I'm so sorry, the words that I said, like it's like my ears were gonna catch on fire. Like, ah, I've never heard that language before. I'm living in the same world as you, buddy, all right? It's okay, And I'm going to choose to live my life one way, but God isn't going to be honored by you getting forced into living your life the way that I live my life. And so I I keep it secret. And I I love it. Some some, people here have said, like, Paul got to know me before I found out he was a pastor and he already saw the real me. And so I knew I was like, I didn't know what to do at that point. It's a beautiful thing. Because there's something in them that says, like, I want to hide. Like, I want to hide the way that I normally talk. I want to hide the way that I normally, you know, live, drink, smoke, whatever. I want to hide that so you don't see it. There's something about Jesus that the way when he lived, when people around him, though he was completely holy, they they weren't afraid to bring their mess in front of him. And I think it's that even when he was holy, there was something about just being in the room with him that made other people feel like, God loves me despite my mess. There's something about being with him that that gave them the inclination that that God actually wants me to return to him even though I've messed up so much. And and we know Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man came to seek 
and save the lost. That's why Jesus came. And it bothers me that so often people would describe being in the room with a mature Christian feels like being judged. I think I've been doing something or we've been doing something wrong when the feeling that they get isn't, here's an invitation, an opportunity to get closer to God. Rather, they felt judged. And I like being right. I like saying it the way that it is. But if Jesus said his mission was to seek after and save the lost, I have to adopt to that mentality and mission and say, well, my mission on here can't be to look like the smartest person in the room, to act like the person who has it all together. I mean, that's another time that Jesus got onto the Pharisees. He said, you Pharisees, you wash the outside of the cup so that it appears clean, but inside of the cup, it's disgusting. He said, you guys, you, you Pharisees, you're like whitewashed tombs. The outside is beautiful, but the inside of you is filled with dead man's bones. And church, I know that there, there's this inclination that's like, I'm coming to church, I gotta pretend like everything is all good and everything is all together and that I'm happy and our marriage is fine and our kids are fine and I need to just put on that happy face. And I wanna tell you, it feels terrible to live externally like Things are one way when internally it's completely different. And it's okay to be here and be in the middle of a mess. It's okay to be here and say right now, like we need help, our marriage isn't well. It's okay to be here and say, I'm trying to figure out what the heck to do with these teenagers. Like it's okay to be in the middle of a fight. It's okay to say, I'm trying to get out of addiction. It's not okay to externally be living one way, but internally have something completely different going on. And if we're going to say we are, we are changed and we are saved by grace alone, but in, inside we're saying, I'm going to try to earn this. I'm going to try to make this about me. It's not okay and it's not going to work. Band, if you guys will come on up here, I'm going to begin to close this out. For you, as a challenge for you, to try to begin to understand and apply this. In John 13, this was in the context of like the night that Jesus was betrayed. I mean, this is in the context of of Jesus taking the position of a servant, taking off his outer garment, putting on a towel, washing the feet of all of the disciples, including Judas, who was about to betray him, which was the job of the lowest slave in the household. In this context, as Judas has just left to go and betray Jesus, Jesus speaks to him and says, my children, I'll only be with you a little longer. And where I'm going, you can't come with me yet but a new command I give you to love one another. Now listen to me. Judas was like actively betraying him at this moment. It would have been right to be like, guys, I just want you to know, Judas is a complete and total jerk. I hate him. He betrayed us. Like everybody needs to know, like spread the message around. Like Judas is terrible. Whoever vetted him as, and led him into our discipleship process, like we need to revisit our vetting and, and we need to re- revisit our background checks and, because we can never have anyone like this. And that's what we need to talk about. In the midst of Jesus being betrayed by Judas, he speaks and says, this is the command, love one another. And the timing is not incidental, but the timing is challenging. 
Because in the midst of the difficult relationship that makes your pride and your anger flare up, of saying, do they know who they're doing this to? Do they know how important I am? Jesus' example was in the midst of betrayal, I want you guys to know you need to love one another. But for us in the midst of relational difficulty to choose the humble, humble position, I'm going to wrap it up like this and say, you know, if I do something good or I do something for God, I have the choice if I can either like lay it down before him and understand not many people will see it, but I'm doing it for him. Or I can take and say, okay, I'm doing this for God and I want everyone to see because they need to see how great I am, but I'm doing this for God and a little bit for me and for my ego. And so we begin to build our life this way. It's like we're doing things and we're either laying it down and saying, this is how I'm supposed to live. I'm supposed to forgive when they do not deserve it. And we can live and we can do things that way or we can live and say, well, I'm going to forgive them, but I'm going to make a nice Facebook post about how I forgave them and how they didn't deserve it. And I'm going to let people know, but I'm also going to let God know, like, I forgave them. And it's like we're building this tower that eventually it's going to fall. It's going to fall because we made ourselves up to be bigger than we are. It's going to fall because someone bumped into us and it just kind of upset the delicate balance of what we were trying to pull off. And it's going to create a mess of our life. And there's going to be, I'm going to tell you, there's part of God's kingdom that sees when you set your pride up and you build a tower of your pride in your life, there's part of the kingdom of God that says, good, it needed to get knocked over. Because for you to get it right, for you to actually make an eternal difference, for you to do some things for the kingdom of God, it can't be about you. It can't be about people seeing you. And we, within our own sense of our person, have to choose humility. That no one will know what we did. No one will know how hard it was for us to choose that. Only our Heavenly Father will know how difficult it was to forgive what happened. And in the kingdom of God, that will matter. And in your life, in your relationships with others, in your relationships with God, it will bear fruit in season. So this is the challenge. Pursue humility in your life. They don't deserve it. They don't deserve to see me that way. They don't deserve to talk with me that way. But I'm going to humble myself before God. I'm going to trust vengeance. I'm going to trust justice into his hands. I'm going to do what he said. I'm going to love other people. And when we choose to live like that in a world that loves offense, you'll be unoffendable. And you'll walk in peace that the world can't take away. Let's pray. Jesus, we are so thankful. We are so thankful that we don't have to hold on to accounts. We're so thankful that we get to see grace move from you to us to other people. And in areas where our pride has caused us to take steps that were destructive, we repent before you and we just say, God, have mercy on us, a sinner. And we are grateful that your grace is new to us once again. Help us to give that grace away in every single interaction. 
in your son's name we pray. Amen.